modular, solar, battery storage. AI helping with temperature management. Just microgrids overall. So data and AI is another important element right now. Ears open right now and interested to learn more. This episode was recorded at COP28 in Dubai. What does it really look like to build a sustainable future for the global majority? We are on a mission to find out. I'm Marilyn Waite. And I'm Andrew Chang. And this is the Global South Climate Tech Podcast. Where we unearth innovations that are redefining what's possible for an ecologically and socially just economy. For the global majority. I am very excited to introduce this next episode with our guest, Manakshi Vashisht, who is the founder of Tech Uncorked. Based in India, her innovation revolves around making sure the grid in a very large, complex terrain actually works for renewable energy. So connecting the old infrastructure with the newer intermittent renewable energy. Her background as an entrepreneur is also very unique. A lot of experience before starting a company, before taking the risk of dropping a very cushy position. And I am thrilled that she made time to join us in Dubai at COP28. Have a listen. Welcome, Manakshi, to the Global South Climate Tech Podcast. We are thrilled to have you with us today here at the Dubai Marina. How are you enjoying it? Thank you, Marlene, for the introduction. Excited to be here, and it's great to be part of uh, COP28. So much happening here around climate. So you came all the way from India? Yes. What do you hope to achieve? Multiple things. One is to really understand what is happening globally. What is the climate action globally? Uh, The second part is having um, our story being heard by many, many people across multiple countries is something that I'm really looking forward to. Investments, a springboard to the global business arena. I think all those things are my expectations uh, from this event. So is there anything that has surprised you so far or what insights have you gathered thus far at the conference? I won't say surprised. It's just kind of validated the amount of excitement about climate action. It is so palpable when you are here at this particular event. Everybody is so gung-ho and so enthused that we need to be making a difference for the future, for our children and for the society in general. It's, it's amazing and exciting to be here. I also feel that excitement. I think I was a bit skeptical coming in. I've been to one other COP in my life in Glasgow, and I will say this one in the UAE is much better organized. Sorry, Glasgow. (laughs) And also the food is much better, which is important for me. And this is the largest attendance they've ever had at a conference of the parties. So it goes to show that there is climate momentum, and that is encouraging. So let's dive into your climate story. What problem are you solving with Tech Uncorked? So Tech Uncorked is working in the grid, in the mid to last mile of the electricity delivery. 
Today, if you look at grid in India, in Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, and also several other parts of the world, the grid is not really ready for the net zero transition. It is fault prone, it is weak, it is vulnerable, and it keeps on breaking down. Now, consider a situation, you are part of the city, a transformer overheats, catches fire, and plunges a part of the city in darkness. The EV charging stations stop working, the traffic lights stop working, until the grid comes back on, the city or that part of the city is essentially at a standstill. And that is a problem that we are trying to solve. How do we make the grid more efficient, more resilient, less lossy, so that it is ready for the net zero transition? And also, the second more important part is ensuring each part of the world has a reliable outage-free electricity at all the times. So India is not only huge, it's also a place of various terrains and topographies. So I'm curious, can you give us more context about the grid and how it handles its current load? Okay, if you look at India, it's the seventh largest country in the world, over 3 million square kilometers of area, and the grid is there everywhere. It's the only difference is that there might not be electricity running through those wires at a lot of times. So the grid has evolved over a period of time and over the years. It was not a very, very planned initiative. So yes, there is a backbone national grid, uh, which then kind of feeds into the state grids. There are small pieces of microgrids. There are renewable grids, the solar, the wind coming up. So yeah, it's kind of a complex architecture of the grid, which is right now existing in India. Okay. So we have a national grid, wasn't centrally planned all at once, but was, you know, came together as the years passed, covering over 3 million square Square kilometers kilometers, as well. So given that situation, why is it important that the grid function efficiently? If you look at the grid, there are four major pieces in the grid. The first part is the power generation. That is where your renewables come in. That is where your fuel-led electricity generation, hydro, everything comes in. And then there is the transmission part of it, where the electricity goes over long distances. And then that is where it feeds into the distribution grid. Now, just into the long transmission lines is the high-tension grid. It operates, um, you know, 33 kV to 11 kV is where the high-tension grid operates. And over the years, in all these three segments, uh, there are big players who have come in to really provide their solutions. Now, this high-tension grid actually now diversifies and translates into the low-tension grid, and which is what feeds electricity into the small and micro-industries, commercial spaces, homes, residencies, schools. And this is a huge grid, heavily interlinked and diverse. And today, the solutions to really make this piece efficient, very safe, as well as reliable, are all fragmented. And utilities are today maintaining them almost manually. Okay, so what it was very important that have an integrated platform which can sit a layer of intelligence over this existing low tension grid, kind of supervise it all the time uh, and really say, okay, here are the faults which are flowing in. Here is where I see a protection and safety issue. And it can just 
trigger protective maintenance as well as trigger healing uh, so that the end consumer never see a blip. They don't see a break in electricity. The EV charging stations continue to work 24 by 7, 365 days in a year. So I think that is why it was very, very important to have an integrated platform. And that is what Tech and Cogged is doing right now, providing LT grid management system, which is a combination of AI and IoT. IoT being Internet of Things? Yes. So let's dive into your personal story a bit. I want to zoom in on a stereotype that exists apparently in many parts of the world, including India, including the United States, where an entrepreneur, especially a tech entrepreneur, is a guy in their 20s, right? And the Silicon Valley of India, Bangalore, has that same stereotype. Mm -hmm. You, however, are a seasoned expert in the energy field. You have over 23 years experience working in corporations from Motorola to NXP, What gave you the courage to step out of that corporate environment and start this new business? I've always had this love of adventure and challenge in my professional uh, life. I started my career as a technologist with Indian Space Research Organization, working on one of the satellite launch vehicles, Uh, moved into telecom when the Uh, Telecom networks were just being established in India, architecting some uh, really important telecom systems. And then I moved into semiconductors. So it's been a journey where I was always uh, in the middle of this whole wave when it was starting out and riding that wave, building, uh, you know, new uh, products, uh, new technologies. So that's something which attracts me. And while I was with Motorola and then uh, an XP, I had uh, moved into a global role. I was, uh, you know, program managing the cellular business. And for me, it was like an introspection, which said, okay, where is my next decade of challenge going to come from? And uh, interestingly, uh, you know, I was doing a trek in the jungles of Chamoli in India. It's somewhere in the Himalayas. And I meet this lady in the jungle who was uh, carrying a huge pile load of firewood. And I just got talking to her. And that was the instance which brought me up and close to the energy struggles and the energy access struggles of the real India. It was like, whoa, you are sitting in the cities, working with large multinational corporates, traveling across the world. But then here, this is how the common people day to day struggle with electricity. And it got me thinking that, hey, why after so many years, uh, you know, we are in 2020s and we are still, you know, talking about energy access. What followed was almost 20,000 kilometers across India, I was meeting academics, meeting, uh, you know, a lot of people in the utilities, meeting the common people to uh, really understand what kind of issue it is. Till we realized that the problem needs to be solved in the grid. Whatever comes in, there's almost more than 40% of the electricity get lost in the mid to last mile, and that needs to be solved. And that gave me courage to, uh, you know, my stage, the stage was set. I knew, okay, this is a challenge. Uh, Technology can solve it. And uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, just cross over and do that. And that's what uh, led me to founding Tech and Cogged. What an adventurer. I can't believe that you went through the Himalayas and spent time to really get to know the terrain and the people and the challenges. I mean, it's very inspiring. What would you say is your biggest challenge right now? 
So as you said, the stereotype, that definitely is a challenge. Uh, and when you talk to investors, they always find a woman in her early 50s trying to drive the startup. So there is a sudden skepticism around that. Secondly, we are fixing a big problem. The utilities are always considered as a big beast. You know, that people are not very open to working with utilities. Investments, the startups are very far in between in this space. So I would say, I think that what will take us to the next level in terms of growth, the right level of investments, the right level of support system is what I think I see the challenge. And I would imagine that your seasoned expertise actually plays to your advantage for the utilities because they're so conservative, right? And you have managed to have those contracts. Can you tell us more about your clients and more about the concrete case studies that you're working on and how you've helped extend the efficiency of the grid? Definitely. I think while on one hand, my experience and my team's experience has been a bit of a disadvantage where investments are concerned, there has been tremendous advantage on the ground in generating the right business traction. So we just started working with one of the utility in India, Tata Power. It is one of the very uh, well-known, well-respected utility in India. And um, we just focused on making sure that the solution solves the problem that they have in the grid. Uh, We did our first pilot with them, which is still working almost after two and a half, three years, which gave tremendous confidence to the utility that, hey, this is a tech stack which actually works, which actually drives benefits. Followed by that, they gave us a very small contract, which was to check two things, whether the solution will work at scale and whether the solution can work in some very tough outdoor conditions. So my first project was take an area of about 100 square kilometer, all agricultural land around Delhi NCR. And there were a lot of thefts and outages which were happening in that area. Within the first three months of the deployment, we actually caught two or three thefts live, which gave a huge confidence to the utility. From there, we moved to another pilot in one of the Tata Power, again, utility in Odisha, where they have this famous Rath Yatra, which is happening in Odisha. And every year, there would be a lot of accidents because people would trip over the cables and things like that. So we had a solution working there, and this was almost like accident-free. And followed by that, there was enough confidence where... um, We got commercial contracts to get 200 substations under the platform. And today, as I speak, we are working with almost seven utilities across India, doing either pilots with them to build the confidence in the technology or commercial contracts. So yes, I think it's been a very good journey, very good traction so far. That's amazing. It's not every day that we get to sit down and speak with someone living, working, and thriving in India. So I'd like to ask about one of the particularities of the subcontinent, and that is many parts of India are reaching the wet bulb threshold. So for our listeners, beyond 35 degrees Celsius, roughly 95 degrees Fahrenheit, adjusting for humidity, 100% humidity, the human body cannot cool itself down through perspiration. So human beings, we literally like drop dead under these conditions. (laughs) It is... Crazy, and it is true, and we have reached that point 
a number of times across the world, including in India. There was a recent Lancet study that found a 55% spike in fatalities in India between 2000 and 2004 and 2017 and 2021 due to extreme heat. So whether we reach that wet bulb threshold or not, there's still fatalities. How does this reality impact your mission and your business on the ground? Well, you're very, very right about that. And India is almost at the threshold and the fatalities are increasing. So it makes the work that we are doing super critical. It's a writing on the wall that we need to transition to net zero. The political parties, the governments are waking up to that. They're realizing that Prime Minister Modi is very much about climate action. I think there was a lot of voicing of those concerns during the G20 recently. I think the businesses recognize that this is something which is very important. And I think that is one of the reasons why the work we are doing is getting tremendous traction in the country, because everybody understands we need to move from fuel to electricity. And if we are moving from fuel to electricity to enable the net zero, to do the right climate action, the grid needs to be there at the backbone, which is very resilient, very robust and efficient. So it is generating the right traction for us. Okay, so that's the silver lining. Customers are taking this more seriously with these impacts happening. So staying alongside that impact theme, how does your company incorporate JEDI or justice, equity, diversity, inclusion into climate action? I myself am a representative of that diversity. Women entrepreneurs are not very common. I don't think it's just an India-specific problem. It is a global issue because getting a startup off the ground is so very tough. And if you're a woman, it is doubly tough. So as a company, we very, very strongly advocate that. And I think Tech and Cog very strongly believes in recruiting women engineers who become part of this tech and become part of the climate action. So very conscious about it. Also, uh, whether it is in the day-to-day operations, whether it is taking taxis or taking, uh, uh, you know, using paper, there's tremendous amount of consciousness around our climate impact in the company. So let's also dive into the Indian context on that because there's a bit of a north-south divide. There's various religions that can be causes for divisions. There's the historical caste system. Do any of those other aspects impact the entrepreneurship landscape in India? And is there an effort to be inclusive along those lines in addition to along gender lines? I haven't really witnessed those kind of divides. Yes, there is that gender divide, which is very pronounced. However, besides that, the other communal divides do not really play out so much, even though it gets talked about a lot in the media. But when you actually are coming into the startup ecosystem, if you have the right idea, if you are able to generate traction, you are generating impact. I think you do get a listen. So I think I'm not too worried about that that aspect of it. it. I think the country has matured over the years. And I think they are pretty bullish about uh, going for the right kind of impact and growth potentials, which will take the country to the next level. Are there investment funds that are specifically focused on gender inclusion in India or maybe even globally that you're aware of that you find to be helpful? I'm very curious at how we plug this gap because, as you said, it is so persistent across both the global north and the global south. 
So I have come across funds which have been uh, coming up to support climate. Definitely, uh, there are now quite a few funds, like Avana is one of the funds which basically goes into climate. There is an Epic Angels Network in which to put a very small amount. But what is interesting is the Epic Angels Network in Singapore, it is totally funded by women. When I first came to know, I was pretty excited to hear about them. Mikey Doyer kind of leads that. There are a couple of them even in India. In fact, I think uh, more than the fund, the third derivative accelerator who backed us moved the needle for us in a big way. They really validated that, okay, this is a woman-led startup doing climate, doing climate in India, and they can make an impact. And they did that early on about a few years back. So that was a big validation. But we need many more of that and also at a higher, you know, a deeper kind of a funding stage, the advanced funding stages. We hardly have anybody there. But I think we need to do much more work in terms of being very vociferous, clearly putting it out there that, okay, these are the funds for the women. It's not really so clear at this point of time, maybe a couple of specs here and there. But yes, I think a lot more work needs to be done there. Right. So maybe there are investors on the early side, but then not on the growth side. Yes. And really to help you get to the next phase and next phase. Okay. So we have work to do, the investors who are listening, and for those asset owners who allocate capital to climate action and climate investing. So let's take a step back for a moment and think about the wider landscape of climate solutions companies in the global south. If you can make any change at the macro level, be it government policy, investor norms, customer knowledge, what would it be? I would say we need to get more innovative about the different kind of investments we offer. If you're looking at climate, there is a lot of work which needs to be happening upfront because climate solutions generally have a hardware and hardware needs money to be developed, to be proven in the field. And it also needs a bit of a patient capital. Also, Generally, almost all the climate action projects are working capital heavy. So if you are a startup, you do not have a big set of ears where you are saying, hey, I'm producing large turnovers. Then getting capital, working capital, getting capital for growth becomes very, very difficult, irrespective of whether you are a woman or a man in that space. And I think that's where we need to have some very, very interesting investment models, need to get much more innovative there to really, you know, support that kind of work which is happening on the ground. I could not agree more. Beyond investment, what are the other forms of support that are critical for climate startups, including Tech Uncorked? Well, what I see is investment is definitely a very, very critical piece. However, it's not the end all and be all. In the journey, you need people who become part of your journey. We use cloud, we use AI, and having the right partners who are just having our back and saying, hey, you go ahead, and come out with those use cases, and we are there to support you to build the tech stack and enhance the tech stack is very important. In our journey, Microsoft, Google, Zoho Corporation are some of the corporates who have given tremendous support. They have become part of the journey. They help with a lot of mentoring on the tech side, business side, investment side. And also a lot of rewards, which we've been able to use to, you know, drive the business forward. 
So I would like to really acknowledge that and much more needs to happen. And it needs, there are many more such uh, corporates who have to come in and step in and say, okay, we are there for the climate action and for the startups who are working in this arena. Mm. Yes. So the non-financial corporate action is a very important space for climate. What's most important is that they get their own house in order, that they decarbonize, that they walk the talk. And part of what can be an added value is using their core competence to support climate startups, right? So it would make sense that a large tech company with a lot of tech know-how supports a smaller tech company in climate, right? So there's a lot of benefit. I know that startups have received support from SAP, you know, for their platform and their app store and Google, Alphabet, you know, all of these tech corporations that are offering their software know-how, their data know-how and what have you. And I think it's critical that they themselves decarbonize their core business. And a lot of the companies have set net zero targets or what have you. I think that it's more aligned when your business is not to destroy the planet like it is if you're an oil and gas company, right? So I become very skeptical when it's an oil and gas company. Um, (laughs) I'm like, no, this is, it's kind of like creating a weapon. Like, I don't care if your gun is made out of recycled plastic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's still a gun. (laughs) But a lot of the tech companies who are not in the core business of polluting and producing fossil fuels, I think they have definitely played a helpful role for climate startups. Yes, I totally agree on that. So finally, how can our listeners keep in touch with you and Tech Uncorked? Okay, reach out to me on my email, menakshi at techuncorked.com. You can go to our website. It is T-E-K-U-N-C-O-R-K-E-D.com. The way you uncork a wine bottle, you uncork technology to solve deeply rooted problems across the globe. We also have a LinkedIn page. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts around climate action, on investments, on business growth, on the needs across the globe. This has been great. Thank you so much for joining. Have a great rest of your stay during COP28. Thanks, Marlene, for having me. It was great talking to you. For those interested in learning more about the Global South Climate Tech Podcast and the organizations behind it, please check out www.gsclimatetech.com. The Global South Climate Tech Podcast is produced by Frequency Media. This episode was recorded on-site at COP28 in Dubai. Our executive producer is Michelle Corey. Our sound designer, field engineer, and editor is Claire Bidigari-Curtis. Our producer is Lizzie Stewart, and our associate producer is Sarah Naz Jad Babayi. And we're your co-hosts, Marilyn Waite and Andrew Chang. <laughs>